Sound Design. I'll be the first to admit that's the very first thing that people should be doing is thrilling their customers so that they want repeat business so that they'll tell others about you. Sound Design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Oakland, California. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the show to help you build your career as a sound engineer and the home of the world's first online career coaching program optimized for audio professionals. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by Alan Breimer from thoughtleaderretreat.com. Alan, thanks for being on Sound Design Live. You're very welcome, Nathan. Thanks for having me. So Alan, I definitely want to talk to you about content marketing strategy and how audio engineers can use it to help attract more clients so they can do more of the work that they love. But first of all, what is the best live show you've ever been to? Oh my gosh. Well, that would have to be the first live show I ever went to. That was my senior year of high school. The Smokin' Grooves tour came to Northern Virginia, where I got to see in one night, live, the Fugees. How many mics do we rip on the deli? Cypress Hill. A Tribe Called Quest. Can I kick it? Busta Rhymes. <laughs> Give me the shit, but then make it quiver while I deliver the shit that the hit you right in your liver. Spearhead. It's all in one oh incredible night. Oh my God. Night. So you were there for like 12 hours. <laughs> it was pretty long. And uh, of course, we got the cheap seats in the grass. But before long, the seated section um, could not keep us back. And a huge wave of people just jumped over the bars and ran down to the down to the very front to get better seats. And um, some of... Us more daring individuals jumped down into the pit to be 10, 20 feet from a tribe called Quest performing at the time. And I was very proud to have successfully used the swim maneuver that I learned as a receiver playing high school football on one of the security guards and got to be within 10 feet of uh, one of my favorite performing groups. All right, explain the swim maneuver. Uh, Okay, I'll, I'll juke to my right, your left, take my left hand and push it on your right shoulder and then my right hand, it's like I'm doing the breaststroke or, or the freestyle or whatever, swims over your head and around your back, essentially elbowing you in the back as my body slides past your side. You uh, attack a, the security guard. It was a gentle nudge. And he, he, <laughs> when, when the song was over and, and they started looking at people's wristbands, they gave me a gentle nudge out of that area <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> I'm going to play a little bit of the devil's advocate here because I feel like there's going to be people in my audience who would have these kinds of questions. So, Alan, as a sound engineer, I feel like almost all of my work comes through personal referral, and I'm not really trying to promote myself as a writer, so why should I care about content marketing strategy? Well, you may not want to if you're already reaching your business goals through referrals and networking, satisfied customers, and so on. I'll be the first to admit that's the very first thing that people should be doing is thrilling their customers so that they want repeat business so that they'll tell others about you. And also some kind of networking and referral strategy to get people sending you leads regularly. Uh, For consultants like myself, that's actually the, the top two methods for the vast majority of consultants. So if I were starting all over from scratch, I would do that first, wait until I have enough of a client base that I'm comfortable with and then invest a little more time or extra disposable income 
or revenue into expanding my reach, expanding my audience, expanding what I've already got going to reach more people. Uh, that's something to do when you're ready to go from the survival stage to the uh, the growth stage, because then uh, you have more followers, more listeners, and some of those will become leads and clients of yours. But quite often, just having the following gets you onto better stages, better websites, better audiences, etc. It makes for an easier sale when someone checks you out and says, "Oh my gosh, he's got he's got all these followers." So uh, I wouldn't say it's the very first thing people should be doing, but when you feel like it's time to expand your reach or, or maybe start using it to promote yourself through SEO or uh, otherwise, then that would be the time to start doing it. So as a result, a lot of my clients are not just beginning, um, and I'm not necessarily trying to teach them how to, how to make money from monetizing their blog or podcast or whatever, but it's just an extra couple of ways to promote yourself and take your business to the next level. Yeah, so it sounds like step one, do great work. Step two, have a referral and um, networking strategy. But then if you're still not booked solid with those two things that you're doing, why not? Why not work on this kind of stuff? Why not be creating content? I, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it like that, but whenever people, other people kind of push back on me and when I've suggested that, you know, why don't you put something on your site instead of just a landing page? Why don't you do some writing? Why don't you answer some people's questions in a forum? And they say, well, I don't really know. And I'm like, well, if you're not working a full eight hours today, then use that extra hour that you have to create some content. That's right. I'd agree with that. And you might even do a hybrid method that is a cross between relationships and referrals and being a full-blown media powerhouse. And that would be creating content just for your clients, the people you network with, the people in your prospect follow-up list. Because even if you're only promoting yourself by referral or networking, you should still have a follow-up list. You still have a contact list of business cards you've collected or people that you've met who may be not ready to buy now but later. You know, So you might have a couple hundred folks who meet that. What are you doing to stay in touch with them? Why not write a blog post, I don't know, once a month to address one person's specific need and send that to them. They're going to love you for it, but then announce it to everyone on your newsletter as well or add it to your autoresponder or make it a LinkedIn slash blog post and kill two birds with one stone. Sure, if nothing else, anytime you have something that you've shared with someone. It could be answering a question on Facebook or in a group or on the phone or whatever. Record it and to copy and paste it into LinkedIn as an article, you know, it, it, it takes a couple of minutes max and then to share that on your social media networks. So yeah, it is a little bit of legwork to have a LinkedIn profile to maybe start a website or a blog for yourself. I mean, most people probably have a website about their service anyway, so you would just add a blog section to that. It does take some work to start a, a podcast and get it into iTunes and have cover art and all that. But once that foundation's laid, anytime you come up with something new that you want to share, take 20 minutes of free time and knock out a post and share it on there as well. Uh, do you have to come up with new original content every day? No. Do you have to stick to a weekly podcasting schedule because that's what the pros do? No, you don't. But once the foundation is laid, anytime you have something to share with anyone, you can be repurposed.
Let's talk about that a little bit more, Alan. You mentioned media powerhouse. You mentioned legwork. You've mentioned not needing to write every day. So it seems like everyone today has a blog or a Tumblr or a podcast that they're promoting and it feels kind of crowded and noisy. And I don't want to add to the noise, right? And I don't want to have to do all of the research potentially and creation, editing, technical background and promotion to make that work well. Um, Are there ways that I can get started with my own content marketing strategy where I can connect with potential clients, build relationships and establish my niche without maybe the 1000 steps and feeling like a big ego stroke. Sure, you absolutely can. It seems like everybody, you know, is promoting themselves these days and there is a lot of noise. Uh, the first thing is if you are just going to put out what everyone else does, then I probably wouldn't do it. But the content you create is really just an extension of whatever your marketing niche is in the first place. So it all starts with your your actual product or service and the positioning that you have. So even if you're just referral only or networking only, is your niche specific enough? Is it exciting enough? Is it different enough? And if not, then go back and fix that first. And then the content that you create is just going to be more of that to reach more people. Uh, I don't like to the idea of creating more noise either, so I try to be unique in everything I do. So that would be the main thing I'd emphasize is be unique, either with an extremely specific audience or some extremely specific angle that, you, that you're using to teach people. Uh, maybe one portion of the wider thing, like content marketing. It's kind of a blanket term. I mean, it's 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 an actual industry. There's conferences, magazines, et cetera, but elements of it have been around forever, well, not, <laughs> forever in internet years uh, before the phrase itself became popular, such mm-hmm. as blogging, having um, email newsletter, et cetera. So I tend to focus on the strategy and planning portion. Other people are the... Well, like yourself, the podcasting element. I mean, that's one of maybe 13 types of content marketing, but it's your expertise and you chose that specific delivery method. So that's cool too. Uh, Once you have that in place, that's really going to narrow it down and you're only going to have a few competitors or a few other people teaching that specific topic. Without having to do all that work and to be a media powerhouse, you don't have to be that guy. You don't have to do what everyone else in the internet marketing world is doing. You know, running the Facebook ads, getting people onto a webinar, um, blogging once a day and all that. No, you, you really don't. My advice is to start small and grow from there. If you can't post a 400-word thought on your blog per week, then you can't do one per day. So take the extra time you have, commit to something that's doable add to it later. I did. I started out with a blog, then I added a podcast, and then I added videos to that. And it took, I, I added about one new medium per month, really. And, and you might have a different schedule. It really depends on how much time you have left at the end of the day after taking care of the most essential things. And that would be serving your clients and relationships with your existing ones. And so talking about getting started, I feel like most people, if they were to start something new today and they thought, oh, I'll start a blog, and then they just 
publish something, they think thousands of people will see this and they get excited. They might be disappointed. And so we already mentioned potentially, what about just writing something for one person? Like if you have one client that you know is having a problem and you think, you know what, I can help this client with their problem and potentially other people have this problem as well. Maybe that's a good way to get started. Um, so I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about that. And my only other idea is what about maybe also starting at places like Quora or other forums where people are posting questions so you immediately have some something to get started with so you're not just kind of making stuff up. Sure. Well, this question is essentially what should I be writing about? And yeah, any questions you get from your real ideal clients, those are the absolute best questions to ask because that's the people you want to write to and the people you want to attract. Um, if your audience is more advanced business people, then you don't have to write stuff that newbies would be would be really interested in. And you position yourself kind of as an advanced expert. John Loomer is one example of that with uh, Facebook ads. It's intermediate to advanced Facebook ad strategies. Whenever there's a new update, he's on it. He's the guy writing the blog post about it. One is questions from your existing clients that you get. One could be questions from your existing subscribers or followers or people who are reading your content. This assumes you already have something up and running. But every once in a while, you can ask them, what are your biggest problems about this topic? What are your biggest questions about this topic? You might get 10 answers. So if you post once a week, there you go for the next three months or so. You could do some keyword research. Uh, You don't have to be an expert and spend hours doing it, but it's so easy to go to Google to AdWords uh, Keyword Planner now and just type in something like podcasting. You might find 50 different keywords, and each of those keywords could be five different articles. Uh, the question then would be how to narrow it down to the most interesting ones. Uh, I think just having lunch with one of your ideal clients could help get to the bottom of that pretty quickly. Not to mention Quora. There's other question and answer sites. I guess Yahoo answers, but Quora is better for business. Um, there's also some resources out there where you can see what the most popular or most shared social media posts were, whether blog posts, infographics, etc. Um, and that is helpful in one sense, but it's also helpful to keep in mind that just because something's the most popular doesn't mean it's the most burning question. It could just be an extremely popular blog happened to post it and therefore thousands of people are liking it. I think the next question that a lot of people will have is that they don't know what questions their ideal clients have. And so, like you suggested, sitting down to have lunch with them might be a good one. Um, But another suggestion that I just thought of is that I try to take notes about what I've learned and the challenges that I've come up against after each event that I work on. So if I have some technical problem that took some wrangling to figure out or um, some production question about the event that I didn't understand and that now I do, I'll take some notes about that. And so now I have a lot of notes about all the events that I've worked on over the last few years. Maybe that's another good idea. Maybe that's another good system for just generating things to talk about. So for example, if you wanted to set up a routine where you're going to write for a couple of hours um, every Monday, and that's going to be your content marketing strategy. And I think that's a fine way to start if you just want some easy way to start. Um, If you have a 
document like that where you've been keeping track of everything that you're learning from every event that you work on, that's another good source of things to write about because um, that could help someone else who's going to run into the same issue. So it's not the same as a client coming up and asking you a question, uh, but it is real world experience that you've gained that then you can share with other people. Well, sure. If you're trying to solve a problem for yourself, you probably do a bit of research on that topic anyway. Uh, reading a couple blog posts, et cetera, filtering through it all and coming out with some kind of answer to apply to yourself. So I like the idea of repurposing that research and turning that into a blog post for others to read. Uh, the only caveat would be that it assumes that your target market is in the same business as you or needs to do the same thing that you're doing. What is interesting and fascinating to me makes other people fall asleep. I mean, I could talk about critical thinking and logical fallacies all day long, but uh, even though it's one of the most important topics out there since the quality of one's decision, as Tony Robbins says, determines the quality of their life, no one wants to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I, used to, I used to speak from the stage and sell a course on real estate investing because that's how I got my start in business 12, 13 years ago. And it had an emphasis on time management because to me, nothing was more important than the four-hour work week, you know, or whittling down the amount of time I spend on my business to a couple of hours a day. Well, no one wanted to talk about virtual assistants and time management. They wanted a business in a box. They wanted the, the basics that bored me to tears. How do I find deals? How do I make offers? How do I get financing? Um, so that, that particular audience wanted something Different. I don't want to say bored me to tears, but you know what I mean. It wasn't as exciting as what I wanted to emphasize. So as a result, I was writing content for the wrong audience and kind of narrowed down who they were. That's a, and so that's a mistake that I've absolutely learned from. If you don't actually know any ideal clients, then I would suggest going out and meeting them. The book, What Color Is Your Parachute? It's for job seekers, but we can still learn a lot from it. It suggests having what's called an informational interview. And to find a list of 10 highly specific companies that you would love to work for, try to get an introduction to talk to someone there and just pick their brain for 10, 15 minutes and explain exactly why you're doing it. I kind of the same way that you approached me online. We didn't know each other, but you, you, you were very simple and direct and said, hey, let's talk sometime. Yeah, and then I offered you $1,000 and you said, okay. <laughs> That's right. I'm still waiting for my check. <laughs> I often find myself reminding myself and people that I talk to to notice the difference between writing for their peers and writing for their ideal clients. Because I think when you first start writing or producing any kind of content, the first things you think of, because this is what happened to me when I started my podcast, is immediately I wanted to create things for my peers because that's it's easiest for me to think from my own mindset. I'm going to write for things for people who are just like me, it takes extra effort and a little bit more work to wrap your mind around what is going to be really valuable for your ideal clients and write to them and write kind of more from their perspective of what's valuable. It applies to the format or type of content that you share as well. Your target audience may not even listen to podcasts. They might not read blog posts. They might only read LinkedIn articles or magazine articles or whatever's in the local chamber of commerce newsletter. They might not go online for anything and the only way to reach them is speaking at a local event or something like that. You never really know until you have spoken with and found out 
enough through trial and error of what's interesting to people. Now, does that mean don't have a podcast? No, uh, because worst case, you do it and you get a following anyway, and those people become part of your network. And the people who follow your podcast then start following your blog, et cetera. And it's just helpful to be connected to more people. But time and experience will tell you what works. Unfortunately, you do have to throw some spaghetti at the wall in the beginning in order to know what sticks. But that's just the nature of the whole 80-20 rule. You know, you, there has to be 100 of something first before you can go back and say this 20% produced 80% of the results. So Alan, speaking of that, I think a lot of the people listening are the kind of, um, I know there's a significant number of people in my audience who want to be doing more concert sound. And so they need to be getting in front of artists, artist managers, uh, venue managers, festival producers, and things like that. And those aren't necessarily people that are maybe going to Quora or going to LinkedIn every day, and they're not going to see your Facebook posts, and they're not going to go to your blog. So I wonder if there's a, a system, when you work with your clients and you're developing a strategy for them, do you kind of just have, you come up with a short list of maybe like five places where you think your ideal clients will be, and then you kind of test those and see what kind of response you get? That's right. You have to try and test different things, and you really have no choice other than to make an educated guess or a hypothesis and then test your hypothesis. It would be nice if I had all the answers in the beginning, but that's not the way it works. You have to do your research, make an educated guess, and then try for yourself and see. Yeah, and and if we go back to what we were talking about of creating posts for one specific person or just a handful of people, in this topic, you might just... If it's someone you have having a hard time getting in front of or getting attention, you might just send a letter directly to them, you know, and they might not write back to that. But then when you post something and email it to them and that second time they see your name, then that might work. So um, I think it can get, I don't know, is that even part of a, can that even be part of a content strategy, sending someone a handwritten letter? <laughs> it sure can. Uh, it's, I guess it's more direct mail or networking, sure. but... Here is the hard truth. The truth is you can't just hide behind your microphone or hide behind your camera or sit around your house in your underwear oh, all, Alan, I just all day. Hide. <laughs> I don't want to talk to people, but yeah, you have to actually pick up the freaking phone and talk to people or go to events and meet people. And it's it really is about relationships. Content marketing will help you expand that, but it is not a substitute for that. At some point, you've got to sell people too. And that is done face-to-face or on the phone. And um, unless you have some kind of standardized, low-cost product that people can just browse online and buy. Patreon is basically a way for creators like me to connect with their community. And it provides a flexible way for people like you to support the podcast. So they can contribute one, five, ten dollars per episode, and then you can set a cap on how much you want to spend per month. So if I actually publish a hundred episodes in a month, something crazy happens, you can still say, you know what? I don't actually want to pay a thousand dollars. I just want to pay ten dollars a month. You know? That's yeah, and that was that was exactly what I was about to ask. I was thinking, <laughs> so what, what if what if you what if you knock thirty out in thirty days? <laughs> 
So Alan, we've talked a little bit about getting started and where to put your content and why to do it already. But just one more question about that, because I heard an interview with a video production company a while back that turned out they had attracted most of their business from a single video post that they did. And I've also noticed through my site that over the past two years, the same two or three posts always get the most traffic. So I'm wondering if there's a way to reverse engineer that and create a really great piece of content that will attract lots of my ideal clients without me needing to publish something new every day for a year until I find something that works. So we mentioned throwing stuff up against the wall at the beginning. How much of that do I need to do? Can I just throw up one thing and have that win for me forever? If you already have such a killer post and you're asking how to reverse engineer it, then that just means put out more that's on the same topic, but just approaching it from different angles or breaking it down into more specific ways of covering the same or covering that same topic in different formats, like a list post or a tutorial or a case study or a, um, the inverted pyramid method, you know, or a podcast episode about it, etc. So you could take the one and expand it into 10 that are very similar but different. If you're talking about how much spaghetti to throw against the wall in the beginning, or how do I know in advance without writing anything what the one in 100 posts is going to be, yeah. the, uh, the answer is be psychic. The answer is <laughs> develop, cultivate ESP within until you know in advance through your crystal ball what that's going to be. Unfortunately, the best we can do is make educated guesses and then go back and see what worked. So, Alan, I saw this post that I think was from AppSumo a few months ago where they suggested this technique where you research your topic on BuzzSumo and then see what is getting the most shares and see what is getting the most shares that is a couple of years old already and then basically rewrite that post, use new images um, on the same topic and that will be a win. And I thought, you know, that seems kind of unethical or at least not as interesting as original content. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Not as interesting to who? To, to me, to write something that, you know, it doesn't seem like it came from my mind. I'm just stealing. Right. Well, you can't copyright ideas. You can only copyright words. So, I mean... You can take someone's ideas and concepts and say them in your own way. So that's how you would get a hybrid of what is proven to work and people are interested in and being yourself and putting your own unique spin on it. You could take it and adapt it for a specific audience. You could say it by through injecting your own personality into it. Uh, so even if you do paraphrase the whole thing, there's nothing illegal or unethical about that in my opinion. Uh, do you want to rip off one specific article completely? I don't know about that. That's a little close, but three ideas from this article, three ideas from this article, three ideas from this article, that's called doing research. And it's, it's done in scholarly journals all the time. And if you really want to, you can always link to those other posts anyway, or use their infographics and cite the source. BuzzSumo, okay. by the way, that's the name of that software or the website I was talking about before, where you can see what the most popular topics are. And uh, that's, that's very helpful in knowing what to write about in the first place. So, Alan, where is the best place for people to follow your work on? Uh, on I was going to say online, but could be anywhere. 
Uh, best way, go to alanbrimer.com and you'll see a simple site I have there about myself. And at the bottom, there's links to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Those are probably the three main places. Alan, thanks so much for being on Sound Design Live. Thank you, Nathan. It's been a pleasure. Sound Design. Thanks to Firewood Poetry for music in today's episode. You can find more of her music at firewoodpoetry.com. <laughs>